0: At around 1 p.m., Devin gets a call from his Aunt Lori. He picks up the phone, and his aunt seems really worried. She explained to him that she's been trying to get in contact with his mom Susan and with his brother Derek, but no one has been answering the phone. Now, Devin listens to this, and he starts to realize, you know wait, where is my family? You know, at this point, two hours had gone by without him hearing anything in the house, without his mom coming in to check in on him, without his stepdad coming to speak to him. I mean, at this point, he realized that something was off. hey everyone welcome back to what happened with jackie flores i'm jackie and i hope you guys are doing super super well so welcome to episode 29 today we're going to be talking about a very frightening case there was a movie that came out in 2008 called prom night and it stars britney snow and idris elba well at the start of the movie britney's character walks into her home after coming home from a sleepover and she finds the house very quiet she goes inside the living room and she sees that the football game is on the television so she just assumes that her dad fell asleep on the couch while watching the game. She goes upstairs and walks into her brother's bedroom and sees that he's laying on the bed. She pokes at him to wake him up, but he doesn't respond. She turns his body over, and that's when she sees that her brother is dead. She runs into her parents' room to hide underneath the bed, and it's revealed that her dad is not actually asleep on the couch watching TV. He's also dead. It's a really frightening movie, and the reason that I mention it is because today's case reminded me of the opening scene of Prom Night. We're going to be talking about the Lisky family murders. There is just so much information to go over, so let's jump right in and let's talk about what happened to the Lisky family. Let's start off by talking about a man named William Billy Liskey. He was born on May 11th 1957 in Toledo, Ohio, and he joined the US Air Force, but later changed his career path and worked as a front loader for a waste management firm. He eventually got married and had a son in 1986 who he named William Jr., but everyone called him Billy or BJ. Now, the marriage between William and his wife did not work out, so they ended up getting a divorce, but continued to remain very active in BJ's life and their best to co-parent. William enjoyed hunting, fishing, gardening, and just being outdoors. Everyone says that he was really outdoorsy, and to him, the land he lived on was his heaven. He actually owned a really big property, his house was on 100 acres of land, and he even had a pond on his property. So, because of how big everything was, he was actually able to do his own hunting and fishing on his very own property, and this just made him so incredibly happy. Everyone says that William was just a really hardworking guy, he was down-to-earth, and just really nice. He absolutely loved his son BJ and would do anything for him. While William was at work, he ended up meeting a woman named Susan who worked as an office manager at the same company as William. The two of them quickly hit it off, they began dating they fell in love and eventually got married in 2001. so who is susan she was born on january 30th 1964 in martin ohio she loved gardening hunting and camping and was described as having a very big heart and just being a really loving sister aunt friend and eventually mother now susan had also been married before just like william she was married to a man named gary and they actually had two sons together One named Derek, who was born in 1987, and another named Devin, who was born in 1994. The marriage between Susan and Gary did not work out, so they ended up divorcing, and then she met William. Once William and Susan got married, they blended their families together. William had a son named BJ, who I mentioned earlier, and Susan had two sons, Derek and Devin. Now, BJ and Derek were pretty close in age. BJ was 15 years old at the time, and Derek was 14. However, Devin was only seven years old when their parents got married, so he wasn't really that close with the other siblings. Now, this was definitely a big change for both families. You know, it was definitely hard for the kids to accept their new step-parents and to accept their new step-siblings and just get used to this completely different life. I mean, before this, it was basically just William and BJ living on this 100-acre property. William would go to work every single morning, and BJ would pretty much just have the entire house to himself, and he was pretty much just doing whatever he wanted to. But now Susan and her two sons were moving into his house and things were changing. He now had to share the space with his new brothers and now Susan was there to discipline BJ to make sure that he wasn't getting into trouble. It was definitely going to take some time to adjust to this new change but Susan was really happy about this new marriage and this new family that she was forming. She absolutely loved her husband William and her kids Derek and Devin also loved their new family. So let's talk about about Derek and Devin. Derek was a 2005 graduate of Oak Harbor High School and he was really active in track. He actually set a school record for the four x two relay in 2005. He was just really athletic. He had a second degree black belt and he competed in Italy for the US Taekwondo team. He was also really religious. He was a member of the St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church in Oak Harbor. Derek's favorite pastime was spending time on Lake Erie in his sailboat and his father's inflatable dinghy. He also loved to sneak it away in the early morning hours while the water was calm. He also really loved snowboarding and landboarding, and people just say that he was a really good kid. As for his brother Devin, he was also a black belt, and he loved spending time on the family's boat on Lake Erie, which was really close to their home in Ohio. The whole family did go to church together, but Devin in particular was more religious and he even sang in the church choir. Devin also had a girlfriend who he went to high school with and friends and family describe him as being very polite, nice, and just overall a good person. While Devin and Derek lived with their mother, Susan, and now with their new stepfather, William, and this new blended family, they still did have contact with their father and they would often spend weekends with him or just like go on little trips with him. Derek and Devin were more accepting of this new blended family and they really liked their new stepfather, William. As I said, he was just an overall great guy and he made sure to treat Devin and Derek like they were his own blood. They all bonded together over their love for the outdoors and William would often take all three of his sons hunting. Now, while everybody was getting along and you know clicking and just getting to know each other, BJ wasn't. He was having a very difficult time bonding with his new stepmother, Susan. According to friends and family, He did not like her he hated that she moved into his family's house and that susan had set some new house rules for him to follow as i mentioned before it was just william and bj on this huge property all alone But now, Susan was there, so BJ just didn't feel like he had the same freedom he had before. Now, it is normal for families to have problems, and you know, sometimes when people get divorced and then get remarried, it can be very difficult for the kids to adjust to this. So, at first, William and Susan thought that this is why BJ was acting out, that he was simply having a difficult time adjusting to this new dynamic, but that it would pass with time. Things did get pretty bad at one point, and BJ was actually kicked out of the family's home and was no longer allowed to live there which of course angered him even more now let's fast forward to october 30th 2010 the night before halloween halloween was a really fun time for the town of oak harbor This was a small town, it was a very big tourist location, there was lots of fishing to do, and everyone was really close in this town. Now when I say close, I mean close. Like this is a type of town where everyone knows everyone, where they know each other's secrets, they know where everyone lives. It was just a really tiny community and people got really into Halloween. Everyone would go all out and decorate their houses. People would really take their time putting a costume together. Kids would go trick-or-treating and everyone would have during this holiday that's exactly how the liskey family planned on spending halloween eve william had actually taken some time off work to go on a hunting trip with his 24 year old son bj That was something that they really loved doing together. And the two of them just had a really close relationship. They came back from their hunting trip on October 30th. And then later that evening, William and Susan hosted a little Halloween party with just a couple of their close friends at their house. One of their good friends and neighbor named Mark went to this party and he said that everyone was having a good time. Everyone was getting along, having good conversations, and the party ended at around midnight. The only thing that stood out to him is that BJ was at this Halloween party, but Derek wasn't. However, he didn't think it was that weird since the two brothers didn't really get along, so it kind of just made sense that they weren't in the same room together. As for why Devin wasn't there, he was actually away that weekend spending time with his dad. Mark says that once the party ended, William said he was going to go drive BJ back to where he was staying because, again, BJ was not really allowed to spend time at the family home. He wasn't allowed to sleep there and he had been kicked out. Again, this is because there was a lot of family tension at the time between BJ and Susan. So BJ was not supposed to spend the night there, but William did have a little bit too much to drink at this Halloween party, and it just really wasn't safe for him to get in his car and drive his son home because this wasn't a close location. I mean, where BJ was staying at this time was like an hour and a half away. So it's definitely not a good idea to get in the car and drive all this distance while you've had something to drink. So he decided to just let BJ spend the night on the couch. Maybe Susan had also had something to drink that night, so that's why she just agreed to let BJ stay on the couch as well now the next morning on Sunday October 31st at around 9 30 in the morning 16 year old Devin returned to the family's home after spending the weekend with his father Gary He walked in through the front door and noticed that the house seemed very quiet. It honestly seemed like the house was empty or like everyone was still sleeping. Devin was kind of in a hurry because he actually had to get ready for church where he was due to sing in the choir. So he quickly went upstairs to his bedroom, changed into his church clothes, and then went back downstairs towards the front door to leave for church. As he was leaving the house, he was surprised to run into his brother BJ. This was surprising because, again, BJ was not allowed to stay the night at the house due to all the family issues that they were having, so why was BJ there? BJ was outside in the driveway, standing next to their dad's white pickup truck, and it seemed like he was loading things in and out of the truck. Devin says that BJ seemed different that morning. Normally, he and his stepbrother didn't talk. You know, they didn't really get along well at all, so... BJ was being very talkative at this point. He was asking Devin questions about where he had been, what he was doing at the house, and where he was going. He also asked him how long he would be gone for, so Devin just found this to be a little bit weird. They had never had this much of a conversation before, so why was BJ so curious about what he was doing? Devin explained to BJ that he was going to go to the Sunday service, and then he would be back home as soon as it ended. And then he left the family's house at around 9.35 in the morning. Devin headed to church, singing in the choir as planned, and he returned home a little after 11 o'clock in the morning. So at this point, only about an hour and a half had passed since Devin had ran into BJ. Once he arrived back at home, he realized that BJ was gone and so was our dad's white pickup truck. Again, the house was still very quiet. He still hadn't run into his stepdad, his mom, or his older brother. He decided to just go upstairs to his bedroom, put on a headset, and just start playing his favorite video game. About two hours later at around 1pm, Devin gets a call from his aunt Lori. He picks up the phone and his aunt seems really worried. She explained to him that she's been trying to get in contact with his mom Susan and with his brother. Derek but no one has been answering the phone. Apparently, Derek was supposed to go to the aunt's house that morning to help her husband out with some construction work that day but he just never showed up. Now, Devin listens to this and he starts to realize, you know, wait, where is my family? You know, at this point, two hours had gone by without him hearing anything in the house, without his mom coming in to check in on him, without his stepdad coming to speak to him. I mean, at this point, he realized that something was off. So he hangs up the phone with his aunt and he goes downstairs to investigate. He walks into the kitchen, but doesn't see anyone. He heads over to the living room and, again, he doesn't see anyone. He decides to go into his parents' bedroom, which was on the first floor, to see if maybe they were still sleeping. And when he opened the door, he saw that both Susan and William were still in bed. Their feet were sticking out of the bed, and a maroon comforter was pulled over their heads. Now, he thought that this was really weird because his parents would normally wake up pretty early, but at this point, it was around 1 p.m., so it was shocking to see that his parents were still sleeping. Devin walked over to his mom's side of the bed, and he called out her name. She didn't respond, so he decided to get closer to her and poke her but she didn't react. Devin slowly pulled down the maroon comforter and that's when he came across a truly horrifying scene. His mom's entire pillow was covered in blood. Now, at first, he thought that this was a Halloween prank from the party his parents had hosted the night before. Now, looking back at this, Devin says that this was his mind trying to grasp at any straw so that he wouldn't have to accept that his parents were dead. So his mind was trying to make him believe that this was just like a Halloween prank, but once he took a couple of seconds to collect himself, he soon realized that this wasn't a joke. The blood was real. He immediately started screaming and he ran outside of the house and called his Aunt Lori to tell her what he had just seen. Lori immediately drove over to the family's house and she said that she found Devin shaking in the front yard, that he couldn't sit still and that he was just in complete shock. So she was the one that had to call 9 Here's that 911 call. We need an ambulance and the sheriff to show up, please. Where's the blood? It's on, it's on the bed. In their house, in their bed? It's because it's in her bed. OK. Oh, my God! through. <laughs> Lori? I don't know. There in the bed, and he's dead. He's got to be dead. OK. Did it look like maybe he was shot? Oh, he's, honey, he's. Shot or something. We can hear on that call that as soon as Lori went into the bedroom and saw 53-year-old William and 46-year-old Susan, she knew that they had been murdered. Now, when police received that phone call, they already knew who the victims were because, as I mentioned, this was such a small town where everyone knew everyone. So when they first got the call and received the address of where the crime had occurred, they knew that it was the Liskey family's farmhouse. A lot of the officers were immediately concerned because they were friends with William and with Susan, and some of their kids were even friends with their children. So it just seemed like a lot of people had a connection to the family, and detectives immediately rushed over to the house. to see what had happened. They pulled up, taped off the scene with crime scene tape, and then they walked inside the house to begin their investigation. Detectives say that the house just seemed really eerie, like it was really quiet and nothing looked out of the ordinary the house actually looked pretty normal there was no sign of forced entry there was no sign of a robbery or of any type of commotion taking place it looked like some laundry had been done the night before again nothing really looked out of place they did notice that the couch looked made up like if someone had slept there but that was it they first went over to william and susan's bedroom which again is located on the first floor When they saw william lying in bed he was still in the position he was in while sleeping and by just looking at his forehead detectives could tell that he had been shot as for susan when detectives walked over to her side of the bed they could still see her legs partially hanging off the edge and that she had gunshot wounds to her head To detectives, it looked like both of them were asleep in bed when they were murdered. Once taping off William and Susan's bedroom, detectives continued searching the rest of the house, and that's when they went upstairs. They came across a bedroom door that was locked. They unlocked the door, and when they got inside, they came across the body of 23-year-old Derek. They found him dead in his bed in a fetal position. This was just extremely shocking to detectives and to people in the community. I mean, how did this happen, and who would do something so evil? Detectives sent the bodies over to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy to be conducted, and this revealed that Derek's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head, and it was determined that he was hit with a hammer. As for William, he had been shot five times in the face. Lastly, Susan was shot three times in the head. She had a defensive wound on her hand, and she had also been sexually assaulted after her death which is just so disturbing i mean really someone had to assault her after she was dead investigators believe that derek was killed with the hammer first because the killer did not want to make any noise by using a gun if they had used a gun first that would probably have woken up william and susan so they used a hammer as a weapon and then this person went over to susan and william's bedroom and shot them william was shot first and then susan Investigators continued searching the house to see if they could find the murder weapons or if they could find any other type of evidence. This is when they discovered muddy footprints that went from the family's house leading up to the pond in the backyard. Now they believe that the killer might have disposed of the gun in the pond, so they actually had it drained. Which is crazy. I mean, this pond was pretty big. And once it was drained, they went through every inch of this pond, but surprisingly, nothing was found. The killer did not dispose of the murder weapon in the pond. Detectives were also confused because no shell casings were found at the crime scene, so they believed that the killer had taken the time to pick each of them up to cover their tracks. There was also no sign of forced entry, as I mentioned, so either the family knew the killer and willingly let them in the house, or the killer was already inside the house. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the family was really into hunting, so they did own multiple guns. Investigators compared the bullets to the family's gun and to another family member's weapons, but they were not the murder weapon. They were also looking for the family's car, which was the white Ford F-150 pickup truck. Now, detectives wanted to speak to the neighbors to see if maybe they had seen anything or just heard anything. And that's when one of the neighbors said that at around 6.30 in the morning, they heard what could have been gunshots coming from the family's home. However, they didn't call 911 because it's not uncommon for people to go hunting in this area. So they just assumed that the gunshots were from someone hunting. Besides that neighbor's statement, there really weren't any other witnesses that saw anyone coming or going from the family home. Moving on from the neighbors, detectives wanted to focus on Devin. I mean, they were confused as to how he was inside the house for at least four hours without realizing that his family was dead inside. They questioned Devin, but he was crying, he was just absolutely heartbroken over the deaths of his family members detectives felt like these tears were genuine and they cleared him from having any involvement devin explained to investigators how he had ran into bj that morning and how he thought that this was really weird so now detectives were like Oh, okay, let's go question BJ because he was also at the family's house in the morning, but somehow didn't come across his family members' bodies. He also hadn't come forward to speak to police about his father's death or anything like that, so detectives were starting to get suspicious of him. The Aunt Lori also stepped in and explained to detectives how BJ and Susan had a very strange relationship and how he had a lot of anger towards her. The detectives started calling BJ's cell phone, but they weren't able to get a response from him. BJ was pretty much MIA at this point. So they started concentrating on where BJ could be, where he would normally hang out, and where he could possibly be hiding. His mom lived about 15 minutes away in another town, so detectives went to that town to scope it out, you know, see if they could maybe spot BJ or see if they could maybe spot the white pickup truck, but they didn't find anything. They went back to the drawing board, and that's when they were informed that the family had a cabin in Carroll County, which was just a few hours away now this was the family's cabin where they would all go spend time together they would go hunting there and bj really loved this cabin On top of that, B.J. had just been there with his dad when they were on their hunting trip, so detectives started making their way to Carroll County to look for B.J. They informed the local police there to be on the lookout for a white pickup truck, and one deputy was actually driving around the area and spotted the car. The white pickup truck was parked in the driveway of the family's cabin. The deputy pulled up to the cabin and he called for backup, and in that moment, B.J. walked out of the cabin. The deputy told him to put his hands up and for him to get on the ground, and then he arrested him. They put him in the back of a police car, and while he was being transported to the police station, detectives started looking around the property just to see if they could find the possible murder weapons. They knew that they were looking for at least one blunt force object, which they believe was the hammer, and they were also looking for a small caliber gun. So they looked inside the white pickup truck, And that's when they found a handful of evidence tying BJ to the murders. First of all, they found blood and then they also found a 22 caliber rifle. They confirmed that this rifle did belong to William. And when investigators continued searching back at the Liskey family home where the murders took place, they eventually found a bloody hammer inside the closet. So, now police had both murder weapons, and they still had blood on both of them, so they sent in the weapons for further testing. As for the clothes BJ was wearing when he was arrested, there was some blood on it, so detectives took his clothes, his shoes, and his socks for further testing. When they got these results back, it confirmed that the DNA of William, Susan, and Derek was found on these items. Police just couldn't believe this. I mean, who would do this to their own family, to their own father, mother, and brother? Why did BJ have so much anger towards his family? Well, let's kind of take a step back and let's talk about what was actually going on between the family. As I mentioned, they were having a lot of difficulties and a lot of tension ever since William and Susan got married. BJ's behavior was kind of out of control and both parents thought that this was because of the new marriage and that the bad behavior would pass with time. However, it didn't. It turns out BJ had behavior issues way before his dad and Susan got married. According to friends and family, BJ was a troubled child and he just had a lot of problems at school because he would start fights and he would get into a lot of trouble. At first, his parents didn't think much of it, You know they were going through a divorce so they just figured that maybe bj was acting out because of the separation and that the behavior would eventually stop however over the years bj's bad behavior just continued to get worse In 2002, William actually had to call the police because his 16-year-old son, BJ, was threatening to harm himself. Now, at this point, he was already on house arrest and when police arrived at the scene, BJ actually attacked them and he was arrested. This is just really sad to me, you know, because it seems like BJ was having a mental health crisis and his family's only option was to call 911. Unfortunately, back then there really was no one else to call and only more recently there's other options such as 988, which is a mental health helpline. But there are becoming more options for when you see someone is having a mental health crisis or episodes because oftentimes what they need is an expert to show up not police. So after his parents divorce, BJ's bad behavior continued to grow and as I mentioned, it got even worse when his dad got remarried to Susan and had Susan and her two sons move into the family's home. In 2004, BJ was 17 years old and him and Susan actually got into an argument where he ended up hitting her in the chest yes he hit his stepmother in the chest for that he was charged with a felony assault but even after this happened bj was still allowed to live in the family home with everyone else it is weird to me you know that he wouldn't have been sent to go live with his mom after this because he physically attacked susan which is really scary but maybe he apologized and she forgave him i don't really know but they all continued living together However, just two months after this assault, BJ and Susan got into another argument and he hit her with a coffee mug and then he stole her car. After this, Susan did press charges against her stepson BJ. I'm sure it was not easy for her to press charges against him, but his aggressive and violent behavior really pushed the situation to a breaking point. So after his arrest for assaulting Susan, BJ was finally given a mental health assessment to see if he was fit to stand trial. I'm kind of surprised that it took so long. You know, his troubled childhood and self-harm attempts are really big red flags that something just wasn't right with him. So ultimately, BJ was deemed unable to stand trial because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and the state dropped all the assault charges against him. After this diagnosis, William moved B.J. into a group home for mental health patients in Sandusky, Ohio, which was about an hour away from where the family lived. During his stay at the group home, B.J. was still having issues and he was arrested three more times. One of these incidents included a fight with William that happened during a visit. Now, once his treatment ended, BJ actually moved back into the family's house, but unfortunately, his treatment was proving to not be that effective, and he actually had an all-out brawl with his dad at the home. It just makes me so sad to listen to this, you know, to see how BJ was fighting with his family so much, you know, with his own dad. And I just can't even imagine how much stress everyone was under in the house. Now, when William would have problems with BJ, he just really wasn't able to control his son's behavior. So he would actually have to call over his friend Mark, the neighbor that I mentioned earlier, because he just didn't want to get the police involved anymore. So Mark would come over to the house and then he would have to do his best to calm BJ down before the fight escalated to something more. In this particular fight, Derek was the one that actually had to call Mark because he just didn't know what to do. It's honestly like I again how I said, it's just really sad. Like imagine seeing your new stepbrother and your new stepdad just like fighting and like being physical with each other and screaming. Like it just must have been so scary. So as you can see even derek was trying to make it work you know instead of calling the police he called this family friend and that just shows like how much everyone was trying to make it work with bj living in the house but then in the fall of 2004 susan was showering when 18 year old bj entered her bathroom and attacked her thankfully susan was able to get away but this event traumatized her she did not feel safe in her own home you know she always felt like she had to be on guard even in the bathroom while she was showering Can you imagine this? Your stepson sneaking into your bathroom and attacking you while you're showering. It's just horrifying. Susan actually believed that BJ had entered the bathroom with the intention of sexually assaulting her. Which just breaks my heart even more. Once she told William about this incident, this was pretty much his last straw with his son BJ. You know, he loved his son, he wanted to help him and wanted to make it work, but this was just too much. He knew that it was no longer safe for BJ to live in the family's home, so he kicked him out. BJ was 18 years old, so he was not a minor, and it was within his dad's right to kick him out of the house. I feel like maybe the dad thought that kicking him out was better than having him arrested again. I'm not sure why he didn't call the police for this attack on Susan. Now, Susan did press charges for this attack, but ultimately the charges were dropped. BJ ended up moving into a halfway house that was pretty close to the family's house. That way, he would be able to leave the house and go visit his family and still keep in contact with them. However, the dynamic was clearly off even with these family visits. The family just couldn't get over what BJ had put them through over the past years and they were scared. Throughout the next years after this, BJ was still in treatment but in 2007, he was actually hospitalized for his schizophrenia and his doctor determined that he was a danger to himself and others and that the only way to protect him and everyone else was to have him under surveillance or medicated. Now, even though things between William and BJ were really tense, he still loved his son so much. Everyone could agree that William was a great father and just didn't want to give up on his son. So after this hospitalization, William applied for guardianship over BJ. He had to apply for this as BJ was legally an adult and no longer a minor, but this allowed him to have some control over BJ's treatment. His application said, quote, I would eventually like to see him in a halfway house or group home. When William is on his medication, he does really good. After a while, he'll stop taking it because he thinks he's okay, starts drinking, and smokes pot. After this, BJ moved into a halfway house again, but the family would still continue to have visits at the family's home. Now during this time, neighbors started to notice that something weird was going on. Some of their pets started to go missing, and they actually suspected that this was because of BJ. Mark Riddell, the family friend that I keep mentioning, said that his dog was shot twice with 22 caliber bullets, which is the same type of bullets that William and Susan were shot with. And, you know, Mark did have a conversation with William about how he thought that the family's safety was hugely at risk. But William would just tell Mark, quote, BJ won't hurt us and even with his dad's unconditional love the problems between them continued in June 2010 William called the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office to report that his 24 year old son had walked off after yelling at him and pushing him during a confrontation at their property William said that he had brought his son home for a weekend visit from the Sandusky group home where he lived and that his son was schizophrenic and apparently wasn't taking his medication In a statement that william gave to the sheriff's office on june 4th 2010 he said that bj was angry and uncontrollable william said that he did not want to press charges against his son but that he just needed bj to take his medications like most mentally ill individuals so i know that was a lot but just imagine what the liskey family was going through at this time This is a lot for anyone to manage, and again, William just absolutely loved his son and didn't want to give up on him. He had already made a big decision by kicking his son out of the house, which I'm sure was not easy for him. He just really hoped that his son would get better, but unfortunately, just months after all of this was October 31st the morning the family was found dead now what detectives believe happened is that there was just a lot of built-up tension between bj and susan and just the rest of the family he just didn't like the fact that his dad got remarried that susan and her two sons had moved into his family's house On top of that, he was no longer even allowed to live in the family's house, so he just felt really angry at the family. He was even more upset when he learned that his brother Derek had also gotten in trouble with the law, but he was never kicked out and was still allowed to live in the house. So BJ was upset about this, and he actually confronted his dad and said, Why can Derek continue to live here even though he broke the law, but I can't? So detectives truly feel like there was just a lot of built up tension between him and the family and that this rage was just building up over time and he just finally snapped. So that's the backstory of what was going on in the Liskey family home during the time of the murders. After BJ was arrested, he was charged with one count of first degree murder. Now, something that shocked detectives and the community is that the day after BJ was arrested on November 1st, the Liskey family suffered another tragedy. William's sister, who was also named Susan, was killed. Now, according to the family, Susan absolutely loved BJ. She loved her nephew. She had a really close relationship with him and she lived in Oregon, Ohio which was about 15 minutes away and she had died in a garage explosion. When detectives heard that William's sister just died the day after he died in an explosion, they were shocked. They didn't know what to think about this. You know, was this connected? Did BJ commit another murder or is something more sinister going on they looked into the time of the explosion and it was determined that the fire had occurred while bj was already in jail so he was not involved in his aunt's death and i just cannot imagine what the family was going through in this moment william's mom literally just lost her son and now she just lost her daughter On top of that, she had just lost one of her grandchildren and her daughter-in-law, so it's just a lot of grief for someone to go through. Now, once it was confirmed that BJ was in jail when his aunt was killed, detectives were now questioning everything. They wondered if they had arrested the right person because maybe someone had a vendetta against the family. I mean, what are the odds that William and his family were murdered, and then his sister was murdered the day after? Maybe someone was out to get the family, and it wasn't BJ that had done this. They were just really concerned, but once the fire was investigated, it was determined that this was started from a cigarette that wasn't put out properly. So it seems like the aunt's death was just an accident, and although BJ wasn't responsible for her death, he was responsible for the death of William, Susan, and Derek. On November 9, 2010, B.J. was charged with six counts of aggravated murder, and he was held in the Ottawa County Jail pending his trial. B.J. pleaded not guilty to all of the charges, and his bond was originally set to $1 million, but then was moved to $3 million. If he was found guilty of these murders, he had the chance of getting the death penalty. Now, there was a lot of evidence tying him to the crime, there were a lot of witness testimony, and his documented history of abusive behavior towards both William and Susan made the prosecution feel confident in the verdict. While BJ was in jail awaiting his trial, he actually spoke to his mom over the phone and they had a conversation about the murders. The mom asked him, How could you? And BJ said, I wasn't in my right mind. His mom then said, you did it, you did all of this. And BJ just said, yes. Then after taking a pause, he said, mom, I can't talk about this anymore. And then the phone call ended. So because this phone call was recorded like all jail phone calls are, the prosecution took this as a confession and BJ was even further incriminated. BJ agreed to plead guilty in exchange for the death penalty being removed and at his pretrial hearing he officially changed his plea to guilty. It's not clear if he pled guilty because he just didn't want to face a death penalty or because this phone call he made just made it clear that he would get convicted. It was said that BJ had committed the murders at about 6 30 in the morning which is when the neighbors had heard the gunshots. He was actually cleaning up the crime scene, you know, picking up the shell casings and putting the rifle in the truck when all of a sudden his stepbrother Devin came home. Honestly, a lot of people wonder, you know, why did he spare Devin's life? i wasn't really able to find if bj ever said anything about this some people speculate that he just left Devin alive because he wanted someone to find the bodies also i wonder like did the dad of Devin drive him home you know wait for him outside for him to change into his church clothes and then drop him off at church because I wasn't able to find like information if Devin drove himself to church or how he got there. And if his dad was waiting there to drive him to church, maybe that's why BJ didn't kill him because there was another witness there. I'm not sure. Other people feel like maybe BJ felt like he no longer needed to kill, that he got his anger out with William, Susan, and Derek. I don't know, but it's just truly disturbing that he was just casually outside the house packing up all this evidence into the truck and then just had a normal conversation with his brother as if he didn't just kill their entire family. Also, Devin says that normally BJ was very gloomy and just like dark and like secluded to himself, but now he was so talkative that morning and seemed happy. So, like, Maybe he was happy because he got his anger out of his system and that's why he just felt like he no longer needed to kill Devin because he did what he had to do. As for the muddy shoe prints that were found outside of the house leading up to the pond, detectives believe that those were left by BJ and that after he had murdered his family, he walked out to the pond and just kind of stood there and said goodbye to this property. Either he knew that he was eventually going to get caught for this or that he was just no longer ever going to go back to this property that he grew up in, so he wanted to just stand there on the dock and say goodbye to his childhood home. On September 14th, 2011, BJ was sentenced to three life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole. Adrian Zimmerman, the district attorney, called it a fair resolution. The Ottawa County Prosecutor Mark Mulligan also added to this and says that the family thought the plea deal was fair and says that he believes justice was served. At BJ's sentencing, he was allowed to speak and he apologized for the murders and blamed his mental illness as well as Satan for his actions. BJ said, quote, I loved my dad very much and it makes me feel sick every time I think about what I did. And I can't really explain why this all had to happen, but I think most of all, it had to do with my mental illness. BJ's attorney, Terry Dunn, said that it was ridiculous that BJ was even considered legally sane, even though he had a long history of mental illness. He didn't know if BJ was taking his medication for his schizophrenia on the day of the murders, but he said that he had been drinking alcohol. His attorney said that, quote, Clearly, he should not have been provided alcohol, something that was a constant problem in his life, the mixture of alcohol and his mental illness. William's sister Lisa also spoke and said that their lives had been changed forever. She said, quote, "'We just don't understand how something like this could happen. You see this stuff on TV and you think it will never happen to your family. You love someone so much and then they take something away from you. I just don't know how you could do it when he loved you so much.'" Now." Five years after BJ was convicted of murdering his dad, stepmom, and stepbrother, on March thirty first, twenty 2015, 29-year-old BJ was found dead in his cell at the Ross Correctional Institution in Ohio. There was no signs of foul play, and his cause of death was determined to be from a self-inflicted wound bj had taken his own life i know i was shocked when i read that maybe because he knew that he was never going to get parole and was never going to get out of jail he just decided to go out his own way i don't think that he left behind a note or anything like that but it is just shocking that he took his own life i don't know this is just like so sad you guys i mean how could someone do this to their own family the fact that Susan was sexually assaulted after her death is so disturbing. Why did BJ do this to his own stepmom? My heart just breaks for the family of William, Susan, and Derek. They did not deserve this. They did not deserve to die in such a horrible way at the hands of their own family member. What's shocking is when BJ first assaulted Susan and was going to trial for assaulting her and everything like that, he was found unfit to stand trial because of his mental illness. But now in his murder trial, I feel like they just didn't really take his mental illness into consideration so it is interesting to think about like why before he was deemed unfit but now he was deemed fit to stand trial i feel like with most cases like this it kind of just reminds me of like the andrea yates case you know she had mental illness she murdered her children and she was sent to an institution instead of prison so i wonder why they sent bj there and not to an institution now as for Devin, after surviving such a traumatic event and Losing his brother, mom, and stepdad, he was still able to finish high school and go on to have his own family. He actually married his high school sweetheart, and the sweetest part is that his wife had actually met his mom already and knew her for a year before she died. Their wedding actually took place at the farm on the Liskey property. Devin even invited Detective George, the detective who investigated the case, to his wedding. George said that it felt like he was present at both the worst and the best day of Devin's life. Devin and his wife now have one son together who he actually named after his brother Derek. He says that it breaks his heart that his mom never got to meet her grandson, but he knows that if she was still alive, she would be doing everything to be the best grandmother possible and would do anything for her grandson. In an interview in 2022, Devin said that it was difficult for a while, but over time, he just accepted his family's death as he would if they had died naturally. Even though his relationship with his brother Derek wasn't like the strongest, he still misses him a lot. Derek's death hit Devin the hardest when he turned 23 because now he was officially older than Derek ever got the chance to be. Devin said that he can't hold onto resentment and anger because that would mean hurting himself. He has instead chosen to talk to people about what happened and get help. He said that BJ wasn't a monster, that he needed help, but that they just didn't understand how to help him. I'm so glad to hear that Devin is doing okay and has chosen to work through the trauma so that he could just continue to have a positive life. Mental health is very important and it's really sad because a lot of people wonder, you know, if BJ had just gotten the proper treatment he needed or maybe had stayed at the hospital or had taken his medications properly, maybe none of this would have happened. But all right, you guys, with that, that is the Liskey family murders. This case just really broke my heart. My thoughts and prayers go out to the family. But that's pretty much all the information I have for today's video. Thank you guys so much for being here and for taking the time to listen to what happened to William, Susan, and Derek Liskey. If you're part of the hashtag AudioFamilia, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. If you go watch the video version later on my channel, make sure to leave me a comment letting me know that you're from the hashtag AudioFamilia. And if there's ever any other cases that you want me to cover, also leave me a comment under my YouTube video or send me a message on Instagram. Don't forget to rate follow and review what happened wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to my channel true crime jackie on youtube for full video episodes you can also find me on instagram and on tiktok at true crime jackie bye guys